Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Welcome back to another episode of the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. For first-time listeners, please be aware that not all of the conversations within this podcast are suitable for children. I'd also like to add a trigger warning that sometimes the conversations can get a little heavy. We may talk about things like sexual abuse, domestic violence, drug use and alcohol use. And if you feel that that may trigger you, please do not tune in. Also, I'd like to add, if you are a heavy daily drinker, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery, who makes sophisticated elk-free drinks that still have all the taste of a good time. G&T without the tears, whiskey without the wobbles, and other delicious cocktails too. Switching the ritual instead of ditching the ritual is so much easier. Stay in high spirits, keep a clear mind, head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by Greg from the sunny coast, who is, as of today's date of recording, 444 days sober. Well done, Greg. How are you today? Great. I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Amazing. And how does it feel to be 444 days sober? Uh, well, I never thought I'd get to 44 days sober. So 444 has just been fantastic. Amazing. Well, we'll dive into how you did it and how you went about it all. But tell us a bit about yourself at first. Tell us a bit about what you do, what life's like for you, and then we'll delve into your whole journey with alcohol. Okay. I'm, I'm 54 and, uh, yeah, been living on the sunny coast now for 23 years, drinking nearly all every day of that time. I'm retired and sold our house last year and now we're just house sitting whilst we wait for our caravan to be built, which has just been built and we'll take off travelling shortly. Oh, my God. It's an awesome thing to do. As you know, we've just started our trip around Australia and we've already hit some hurdles and a few things to fix up. The van's broken a few times already, the caravan, and it keeps you on your toes. But one great thing is Ash and I were commenting on this yesterday. The first night of the trip, we've got a wind-up caravan, you know, an old Jayco. It's from the 80s. Yep. It's really old. And we've had this caravan. We've taken it to the desert a few times. And every time we've gone to use it, the bloody cable snapped. Oh, gee. Now, you'd think that would take the advice of our friends that have said, why don't you buy something newer? And then you know it's going to work because we've never actually officially used it. So it's always broken when we've gone away. But it works fine at home. It's really weird. So we wind up and then snap. But at home, it's fine. And we fix it at home. We get some to fix it and it'll work so anyway first day of the trip wind 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 snap which is also why we've got a contingency plan which we put a rooftop tent on ash's touring van and we've also got a bed inside that so if something goes wrong with the caravan we've got somewhere to sleep which was genius of ash i must say expensive but genius but where i'm getting to is when we wind 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 snap there's of course that moment of like oh 
but we both kind of go, oh, well, it was so much more like I think if we were drinking, I would have been like, oh, fuck, oh, no, what are we going to do? And the drama just goes through the roof. But because I'm sure it's a combination of probably breathwork and meditation and gratitude, but also not drinking, it's just so much more resilient to what life throws at you. And like what you were saying before, you're house sitting and there's you've got this puppy and you're a lot more like, okay, I can deal with this. Would you agree? Absolutely, 100%. Well, house-sitting for the last year and not drinking, driving up and down the coast. Now, one of the things I did take on, I became the scone gobbler, so I've had to deal with that. Uh, so February for Where are you getting scones from? Who's making the scones? Uh, everywhere we go, I try scones and tea. That's my new thing. So instead of pubs and beers and, and takeaways and bottles of red at night, it's I'm the scone gobbler, yeah. So 1st of February this year, I've hit, I'm off the scones now too. So that's it's a lot in uh, 15 months, yeah. Oh, my God, I love that. I could so – I remember going around England and being a scone gobbler myself. <laughs> it's I love that. You might have to start your own podcast called How I Quit Scones. Yeah, well, I've had a lot. And uh, <laughs> when you give up alcohol, you really crave something else needs to fill that. And uh, scones and tea, jam and honey. And so anywhere between Terrigal and the Sunshine Coast, I can tell you where there's good scones. <laughs> What's uh, Nambucca Heads? There's a, I don't know if you've tried the scones there, but it's run by the op shop. It's run by, it might be a Salvation Army, a little cafe. It's like little old women run it and they have beautiful little homemade quiches and scones. Is it and, down on the water? No, up uh, in the town. Is it, yeah, at Nambucca Heads? It's definitely Nambucca. So it's up high. And right. Before you quit, you should try one of these. <laughs> well, I have quit, yeah. So, but Wall Gorga, I don't know if you've ever been here. This has got great scones everywhere, and I live above the bakery. So, oh my god, <laughs> that'd kill you. I know it's like, it it's like living above a pub when you're trying to quit alcohol. Oh, yeah. Well, you've just got to do what you've got to do, yeah. So, bit of determination. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me a little bit about your story. When did you start drinking and how did it get to a point where, as you said, you were drinking most days? Okay, yeah. Well, I, I've thought a lot about this going back. I'm 54, so I think 38 years ago, 16, 15, 16, I had older friends. I was the oldest in my family, but I had a lot of older friends. And you start going to 18th and, and 21st and you're only 15 and 16 and you join in that way. And being that young and body not being able to cope, four beers and I was drunk and I loved it. Straight off the bat, hated beer with a passion and took me a long, long time to like beer. I've thought about and I've written about that a bit to myself about how long it took me to like beer. I was right into my 30s before I could sit down and go around without having to go to the toilet and spew. Oh, wow. And so four beers, heavy beers, because we didn't really have mid-strengths or lights back in, in when I started drinking in pubs. So, Or if we did, we didn't drink them. I would forever be sick and I'd have to change up. So I'd do around four beers and I'd have to go to bourbon and Cokes or something like that. To, I, I needed something sweet. What do you think is with that fucked up thing that we do where we don't like the taste of something, yet we persist, we push through. It's like smoking. It's That's the one thing that I think about, that it tastes so revolting, especially the first time or after you've quit, but yes. yet we push through. Until and I, did, I took them both up together and they went hand in hand. I smoked for a long time. Like I said, I'm 54 now. I think I was about 40, uh, 38 when I quit smoking. But I never, ever thought I'd quit smoking, just like I never thought I'd quit drinking. So my story to come around, it was February last year, 22, and I think in January a mate came to me and he said, oh, look, I've got to have a procedure. I'm going to have a month off the booze. Doctor said this, that and the other. So I said, yeah, easy, great. I'd love to do it again. Let's do it. So we do February, which is the short month. And so we gave it up. I really remember the night before February 1, going to the pub and just really looking around thinking, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. Looked around at all our friends and we've got a huge age group in difference from 20s right through to 80 who would be on these tables and I knew everyone and I just thought, I just don't want to do this anymore. Love all these people. They're all great characters. I don't want to do it. When the end of February came around, I had no intention of getting back on it. And it was a really interesting time in my life too because uh, my wife and I had agreed to sell up and go around Australia. So when you put your house on the market, there's that those nervous times which before would have I would have drunk. Is this the right thing with all those questions? And then we sell. So you would celebrate and I didn't. Then there was the moving time and I don't know if you remember Sunshine Coast when we moved back then, it would pour rain for six weeks and was so stressful moving. And I never drank. 
And then my wife's 50th came around, which is St. Patrick's Day in March there, which we usually do go out and celebrate. And uh, the girls did, my wife and daughter. My daughter's 27 and I just said no. And on the build-up to it, getting ready for her 50th, she came to me a few times and said, look, if you if you want to have a drink, I know you've been off it for six weeks or so now, but if you want to, don't feel. And I was just like, no, I was adamant that I'll never touch another drop. Wow, that and is amazing. I, yeah, and it was a really good feeling because from the day I, I said that's enough, having said that, I've got to be realistic too. I've given up so many times over 38 years. How many times, how many hangovers? I said, I'm not drinking again. You go the one week, the two weeks. The year before I gave up, I actually joined a gym and started getting fit. We did these challenges where I, it was 42-day challenges. I couldn't get through 42 days. I could get to 30 fairly easily, working out, eating healthy, surfing, walking, all that stuff. And then it just played on my mind so much. I had to go and have a beer. And I would. And the first sip, I go, what's this about? And so I was more disappointed, not so much the drinking, just my own lack of discipline that I couldn't get through the 42 days. And that really annoyed me. And so when the latest in February 22 came around where I didn't crave it, I just, I'm staying on this. This is the best ever. What do you think was the difference when you got to around the 42-day mark? What was the difference this time that kept you on that path? Because I wasn't thinking about it daily. I remember when I gave up smoking, it was pretty much the same. I'd given up smoking a hundred times. And then the last time, I just sort of, I, I, don't, I didn't count the days. I wasn't thinking about it. And and all, all going to those places. I stayed out of the pub a bit this time too. And as much as I enjoyed going and seeing the guys, when I did go back and see them, I think they're a lot more mature. And in times before when I'd given up and gone to, because over the years you drink at different pubs, and uh, other times I'd been harassed, maybe even to the point of bullying, you know, come on, have a beer, you can't drink water. But this time with zero beers, it was pretty easy. And my mates were really good about it. And they was okay. And when I stayed off it, they were really supportive. I still went, I didn't go as much, where I would go three or four times a week before. Now it was maybe once every six weeks. Mm, that's really interesting. It's really important in the early days to stay away from those triggering places and people. Some people like to go headfirst into a pub situation and get it out over and done with. Everyone's different. Yeah, I feel like it can be a pretty dangerous territory to just start going to pubs, bottle shops. I've got this thing where if people ask me, and I've always been like this, if people ask me to buy them alcohol at the bottle shop, oh, you go in the shop, can you go and grab me a bottle of wine? The answer is no. And it's interesting. I was talking to someone in one of my groups about this Recently, they said they felt really triggered because they had to go and buy someone a bottle of wine while they're at the shops, but fucked with them. And so, yeah, yeah, I think it's so important just to draw the line and say to people, no, I'm not going to do that. And because I've got the people pleasing tendency in me, it's difficult, was always difficult at first to say, no, I don't don't want to do that. But I think it's worth it to push through that feeling of discomfort and wanting to people please to just go, no. I'm interested where you said you just didn't think about it. How does one make themselves just not think about it? Because people listening are going to go, well, how do I make myself not think about it? Do you know what? You quit lots of times. You quit lots and lots of times and you never stop quitting, quitting. Never it's, stop quitting. Yeah. I mean, I never ever thought I'd give it away. It was something that I thought was with me for life. And it wasn't like I got drunk every day. You know, I had long periods where I could go to the pub and have the three or four beers and get home. And But you'd always end up somewhere at one point of the year or it might be two years. And then all of a sudden you're at a wedding and I used to go to these weddings and I'd be like, I can't wait for this bullshit ceremony to be over so we can open the bar. And I would be the drunkest first because I'd have a red wine in one hand and a beer in the other. And that was me. My wife, she would just be like, okay, we're, you're in now. We're two hours in. Everyone's just starting to have a good time. You're miles past them. Let's go. And that would happen. And you wake up the next day and go, oh, geez, I've done it again, you know. So, and I had a lots and lots of those over, over a long, long period of time, lots of those. And I'd quit. And back in those days, you know, a week was a long time for me to quit drinking altogether. And I was never the bottle of vodka a day guy, but I was a constant drinker and it annoyed the crap out of me. And when I did those gym challenges, it really annoyed me how much I thought about drinking. It was everything. Even when I wasn't drinking, I was thinking about it. And now that I write about it, I've started journaling, listening to you and some other guys about journaling and how much I thought about drinking. And even now how much I think about drinking that I'm not a drinker. I don't want to drink. And I can taste this. People say to me, oh, you haven't tasted this. I say, well, you know, over my period of time, I drank everything. And there's not a taste that I can't come up with. I don't know. Is it a mental thing? I can taste beer, wine. If you say to me red wine, I can instantly, I can taste it. And I know it's all shit. 
I know how bad it is. And I remember how much I pretended how good it was. Mm-hmm. And I had mates with lots of money who'd buy me expensive bottles of whiskey and tiny little, I don't know, 300 mil bottles worth $600. And oh, we'd sit there and bullshit each other how wonderful. And, oh, that smoky, yada, yada, yada. What a load of crap. It's just ethanol. And I can taste it all now in my mouth that I talk about it. Yeah. It's just ethanol. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and, and I, I, going back to the beer, I hated drinking beer. When I would go up to the bar, this is as a young guy, I would always get the barman to put lemonade in mine, like a shandy. And my mates, when they found out, geez, they used to give me a stick about it. But that was the only way I could hold it down. I could not drink a full beer or four full beers without going to to the bathroom and being crook. It's unbelievable, isn't it? It's just that thing, like, why we force ourselves? And the bullshit that we tell ourselves, that oh, this is so fine, it's so lovely. And sure, like, I'm sure there is fine wines, especially once your palate has adjusted to the taste of the yeah. ethanol. Yeah. But I totally agree. I think it's all just fucking ethanol at the end of the day. And why not just become, like, a connoisseur of apple juice? I remember one of our friends say that to us once, like, why not yeah. just do, like, apple juice tastings? <laughs> at the time I was drinking at the time when he said that, I thought, well, that's a load of bullshit. And then I thought, oh, you might be onto something there. There's all different, there's cloudy apples, there's red apples. You know, I yeah. thought it's just yeah. an interesting way of looking at it. But I was listening to a podcast the other day. It was with a doctor. I was trying to remember who it was. But he was basically saying there's no safe amount of ethanol that we can have. We're forcing ourselves to have this. It's a toxin. It's a poison. It is a group one carcinogen. Yeah, it's bad shit. <laughs> no matter how good it tastes, right? Yeah, and it's just the flavourings they add, and it, I can't believe it took me so long. Well, it did because I knew how bad it was for my body. And you read it, you see it on the news, and now with social media, I went to AA when I was in my twenties with a mate who had gone seriously over with drink driving. It was seriously over the limit, so he had to attend some meetings. So I said, "I'll come with you," and we hated it. And I don't want to bag on AA. I just went there and I said, "Well, that's not us. We're not getting up and drinking at eight o'clock in the morning or seven o'clock in the morning. We're not had a bad run. You got caught." You didn't hurt anyone. And that was our excuse. But I look back now and thinking, do you know what? If you'd have looked at those people and said, this is where you're heading, it's just a matter of time. And you might not be as bad, but that doesn't matter. The stuff going into you is really bad. The stuff going into them is really bad. How it affects us, is it's, it's criminal that they're allowed to sell it. But here we are. It's Absolutely. The- you think of the behaviours and what people do. And it's just so sad, it, particularly from a coaching perspective, where some of the things I hear that people have done that obviously they feel shameful about, and some of the stuff, it's pretty full on, but none of it would have happened without alcohol. And some people say, well, that's a cop out because it's the person did it, but it's not. That shit makes us do the most ridiculous like terrible things, even if it's in the person's mind somehow that they say, well, if it wasn't in them, they wouldn't have done it anyway. But it's the turning off of the prefrontal cortex, that decision-making part of our brain. That's what alcohol does, that we're not making good decisions. We're not intervening with ourselves sometimes to pull ourselves up. You're so right, Greg. Like that shit should be illegal. We shouldn't be able to buy something that makes us do the most horrendous things Uh, often. You imagine going to a bank with a business plan that I'm going to sell a toxic poison and make everyone addicted. I mean, they just laugh at you, but here we are. And bars are opening up all the time. And the one good thing, though, is I am reading more and more about younger, and my daughter's 27, and I love the fact that her and her mates go out, and they don't always drink. Yet they do have a drink, but they will go to a pub and play Harry Potter Monopoly. We never did that at my age. It was you were there to drink. And I was always a slow starter in a shout, and my mates would always be up me. And by the end of the shout, though, like, with once I was six beers in, I would be encouraging everyone come on, we're going again, we're going again. Who's going home? Don't be a wuss. I was that guy. Even though I started so slow and I'd have to go off and spew, once I'd had my spew, I was on fire. Unbelievable, isn't it? Tell me a bit about what did it look like for you when you were drinking? You said that you were drinking most days. You were being the drunkest guy at the wedding type thing. Tell us a little bit more about that. I've been retired for a couple of years now and I live in a, in an area in Cotton Tree where I've got access to a lot of bars and clubs. So I've got two surf clubs in walking distance, an RSL, a bowling club, two pubs that I can be at any of those within like seven minutes walking. And I wouldn't walk, I would ride my bike. And so in the last few years, so I'll just talk about this last part from 50 on, I would get phone calls from different people or texts from different people from those. So I, I had like six different people I would, uh, or six different groups of people I would drink with. So every day of the week, it was, I would get texts, the Monday boys, the Tuesday boys, the Wednesday boys. And 
that's okay if you go and have maybe two beers, but I wouldn't. I would always finish up at this one particular pub. I would leave these other guys after maybe a round, so four or five beers, head to this one particular place where I knew all my good mates were, would be hanging out, and I'd have another round of beers. And uh, so I probably got up to eight under my belt, and then I would ride home. Now, this is the click of this. I did this so often, and I got away with it so often, but I crashed a lot too. I'd be on my bike. I'd leave. The guy down at the bottle shop knew exactly what I wanted, four wild turkeys and a bottle of red. And I'd get two bags. So I'd have a on one handlebar, I would have the bottle of red. On the other handlebar, I'd put three wild turkeys, and I'd open one. And I would ride home this balancing act about a kilometre and a half every day. And I did it successfully heaps of times, but I crashed heaps of times. And I used to have, I don't have a wallet, I have a little money clip. The amount of times I'd have to go back to the club in the morning, so did anyone find my money clip, my glasses? Yep, here they are. Someone found them. I would ride home, sometimes so drunk, I'd say, look, I know that tree, I've got to miss that tree, I've got to miss that tree. Bang, I would hit that tree. Did it every time. Every time I said I want to miss that pole, there was a little intersection. Luckily, we're on a bike track. I didn't have to go over one road right at the end. There was one intersection right at the end. And right at this intersection was a bin where I knew I'd finished that one little bottle of wild turkey. I would put that in. Now, when they moved that bin, I crashed so much because they only moved it three metres, but it threw my whole handlebars, bottle of red swinging, bottles of bourbon swinging one way, and I would crash into this pole every single time. A couple of times I went over the handlebars and I would get up and I'd look, there'd be a bottle of red broken and I would only, my eyes would only be centimetres from this thing thinking, gee, that could have been so different. But it happened more than once. That happened a few times. Well, when you get home, so you're obviously drinking the rest of that wild turkey and the bottle of red, the whole thing? When I got home, I'd drink the red, usually with dinner, and then I would have one or two wild turkeys. My wife used to laugh. She used to say all the time, look how many single cans of wild turkey we've got in the fridge here. Why do you need to bring any home? But I needed it for the trip home for some reason, and it was all of a kilometre. Okay. I just needed that sweet taste after drinking beer and beer for so long. I needed something sweet to sort of, that was my my mindset, and maybe that's why I'm now gone. I need the sweetness. Yeah, you like the sweetness. You must have been pretty shit-faced by the end of the day. Lots of times, yeah. Lots of times, yeah. Wow. And waking up feeling how? Now, this is the interesting one. I I used to claim I never got hangovers and the fogginess that people talked about, and I used to deny it. No, because I lived 100 metres from the surf. So I would jump in the surf every morning, and I'd either surf or swim. One or the other, get out, and I'm great. I'm good to go again. Get through my day, not a problem, before the, the cycle repeated. Now I know that's so, so wrong. There is a fogginess. There is a huge fogginess that has been lifted. The feeling of waking up sober and how good my day is, it took some time before I realised that there was a fogginess before and I was kidding myself. Jumping in the water, I might have thought it sobered me up, but I don't know how to put it. It didn't. It just made me feel like I was ready to rock and roll and I didn't have a headache or any of those things. And maybe it does take the cold water or cooler water takes the headache away, but you're not alert, are you? You're just not where you should be as a functioning adult. Absolutely, 100%. It's so spot on. And that's not how functioning adults should really, that's not the level where they should be. We want to be at our optimum, especially as we get older. I'm listening to podcasts all the time about how to optimise health. And obviously alcohol is so far away from that. It's incredible. Well, and then there I was at 50 years old taking up smoking pot and I think about it now and I think, why? I had tried it early when I was younger, but then I got to 50. Now, I would never have done that if I didn't drink. That was purely because I was drunk and thought, yeah, yeah, it's about time I did something rebellious, like bullshit. You know, you've been doing it for all these years. What do you think the alcohol was doing for you? I ask this question a lot on the podcast, but I'm always interested. What did it give you? What was the compulsion to do it? Gee, that's a great question. Habit is one thing. In the beginning, the excitement of getting drunk and you're underage, getting your hands on some booze, stealing some of mum's baronia or masala or whatever it was. And so there's the excitement in the beginning. And then it goes on into your 20s. It's sort of expected of you. You go to a lot of weddings and drink. Everyone drinks. There's nobody when I was young, nobody that just didn't drink. And then it's, you're already hooked. It's got you. 
And I, I had might have had periods. I was in the army there in my twenties there for a while, and it was compulsory on some days. You had to go to the booze. You just played sport, football, AFL, or soccer or whatever for a couple of hours. Compulsory. Now you must go to the booze. Everybody had to, whether you lived on base or not. And I loved it. I thought it was fantastic back at the time. I thought, gee, that's great. Everybody's here. We're having a good time. But sure enough, all the things when you get a lot of men in one place every Thursday, it'd all start good, and then there'd be a punch up and all this. And at the time, that's just your life. That's how you live it. Mm. So you, you really feel like it was more that habitual. Was it anything to do with confidence or or fitting in? Looking back now, absolutely, because I was younger than the people I was drinking with, so to fit in with them, it certainly gave me the confidence and I thought I was a pretty funny guy and then people tell you, oh, you are a pretty funny guy, so you keep that up, that persona of I am the funny guy. That's gone right through to now. When I go and meet the boys now, I, I sort of look around, I don't say much at the table. And when I do... Uh, it's it's more about I, I still like listening to the boys and their yarns and stuff, and it's interesting when they get drunk and I know mm, who's bullshitting and who's not, and I was that guy too. And you know, I shouldn't say bullshitting. I said a yarn. I know his yarn is probably a bit further from where it really happened, but I was that guy too all the time, constantly. When you quit the alcohol, it's like you have to rethink where you sit in the whole scheme of things. So for me, I was very much the loud party girl and felt like I need to keep that going even when I was sober. Now I've been able to sit back and just not have to be that person. How was that adjustment for you of going from this funny guy, sounds like you're pretty chitty chatty, to go back to just sit and become more of a watcher? How has that been for you and also your friends? Yeah, that's it's interesting because in the beginning, a couple of them, I've got an old guy I drink with, he's about 80, he's a retired barrister and a very, very smart guy, very funny guy. And he said to me a few times, I love the fact that it, you, it hasn't changed you being sober. You still come and see us, even though it's not as frequent, but it hasn't changed you. And I thought about that and I thought, well, really, I think he's just being nice because I was the loudmouth at the table all the time and the, and the, the hurry up, let's drink guy. And now I sit back. And I have a zero, but I won't have six zeros. There's no way known I could drink six zeros. I have one, usually maybe two, and I never get in a shout. But I do like to sit back and listen to them. Yeah, but I'm not running the table anymore. And uh, somebody else has got to pick up the slack there. And I've seen who it is. I would never mention it, but I, I've seen who it is. And I'm thinking, gee, you were so quiet when you first came to our table to drink, and now you're the conductor. But another point I would bring up, what's interesting is the guys that I'm with now have been really, really supportive, but it's the individual messages you get from them later, like, hey, you look really good, mate. Yeah, I'm thinking of taking a break myself, and that does happen a bit, which is great. And I'll just say, yeah, well, you know, you want to come and have a chat about it any time, but I'm no coach. I gave it away so many times, as you know, because people used to laugh at me. I'd come to the pub and say, like, hey, I'm not drinking today. I'm thinking of giving it up. And they'd know by the end of the session I would have had one and say, oh, well, I'll just have one. And I was that guy. They make the best coaches though, Greg, in saying that. <laughs> They're the people you want your coach who has sort of lived it, right? And look, so many of us have. Like I quit a trillion gazillion times before yeah. this last one stuck. I want to know more about what made it stick for you and what you did when the cravings, if the cravings came around in the early days or seeing the friends, you know, if that was a trigger, how you dealt with it because it's interesting to hear that. Okay, well, I think now there's so much more out there. So before I gave it up with this guy, I'd actually started listening to you back in, I think, 21, and there were some other Instagram people that I followed. So I was a lot more prepared. I'd read a lot more about people's reactions. So I was really prepared for the guys, which I hadn't been before, before I took it personally. But now I knew this was not about anyone else. This was me. I also really started, I think, after 50, it's interesting. I'm not sure how old you are, but when you get to 50, things do start to change with your body. And I was starting to realise, geez, I'm putting on weight and it's really hard to shift now, even though I'm still surfing and I'm still playing golf. My body isn't reacting. I'm waking up and things hurt. And I don't, why the hell? I knew before 50, you know why they hurt? Because I bumped into this, I fell off my bike or we know I fell off a ladder or whatever. Now you wake up and go, why does my hip killing me? And I started to get really conscious about my body, about movement and stuff like that. And that's why I joined the gym. And then I did learn a lot about my body and what I could lift. And this gym concentrated a lot on lifting and, and, and stuff like that. And I noticed big changes. All of a sudden I'm surfing really well, playing the best golf in my life, but I'm still getting drunk on week ends, you know, like that's got to change. So I think I was just ready. I'd quit enough times. I'd learned enough and I continue to learn about the body and my movements and how I can stop things hurting because not everything when you stop drinking becomes perfect all of a sudden. You still have those days where you wake up and go, oh, my knee, what have I done now? But I've got much better prepared and 
I, I seem to be able to fix things a lot easier than I could before. Before I'd get angry, really angry, and, and want to go to the doctor and give me a pill. We something's got to get rid of this. This is bullshit. I don't want to live like this. And I've had a lot of back issues for a long time, and I took so many pills too. I don't know if you remember there was a drug you used to be able to get it over the counter called Mercendol. Yes, I'm and familiar. I used stacks of that. You know, they had nighttime Mercendol. So you imagine beers, wild turkeys, red wine, and then two or three Mercendol, and you zonked. There's no way known you can get up in the morning and say to yourself, well, I don't have a hangover, and I don't have any fog because that's bullshit. You are a zombie until midday easily. Even though legally you can function, you don't have enough blood in your alcohol to, or alcohol in your blood, I should say. <laughs> you, you can drive, you can do all these things legally, but you're not there. You're just not. And I, I do explain that to my mates and they sort of look at me and go, oh, yeah, but really? And I go, yeah, wait till you just give it away. Please give me six weeks, six weeks and don't drink. Absolutely. You don't know the difference until you get through that brain fog that sometimes comes with the quitting alcohol yeah. and your dopamine levels have to reset and that can take 21 days or more oftentimes. Yeah. So once you're through that, I think six weeks is a great kind of amount of time for everything to have reset and then yep. go, right, okay, now we're on. That's why I run a six-week challenge too because I think that's enough time for everything to resettle. Yeah, it's great advice. I just want to reiterate what you said because it's really important. The fact of where you said preparation is so important and education. So the more we can be prepared when we're going into quit, I think, and, and knowing too, like knowing, okay, how am I going to prepare myself for when people give me a bit of stick or yep. How am I going to prepare myself for a wedding that I've got coming up? And just preparing mentally, okay, what's the hurdles that I'm going to face? One of the main things when I'm coaching someone initially, what are the obstacles that you're going to face? So it's good to have a goal, but you have to know what obstacles are going to show up and how you're going to tackle them. So preparation is really important. Education is really important. So learning as much as you can before the date that you set. This is what I've found. So this isn't true for everyone. I know there's some people that have woken up and just gone, bah, fuck, that's it. I'm never touching it again. Yeah. I know what worked for me because I did that a gazillion times. I'm never fucking drinking again. That's it. I'd even tell people and then four days later, I'm back opening a bottle of wine again. The time where I stopped, I'd given myself a lot of time to prepare and it's essential, you know, preparation. So thank you for pointing that out because I think it's what makes the big difference. We have to be prepared, mentally prepared and yeah. as much education as we can get in. So we know what we're going to face and what we're going to come up against. Absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. And I think there's so much more now than ever. It's a really, really good time. If you want to give it away, go and listen to some podcasts. And for me, well, my mate decided to give it up for a month and I just said, yep. And obviously I was ready without, I don't know, is there a subconsciously, my was just ready. And I'll never, I've thought a lot of times like, okay, we went to Ireland before COVID and we want to go back. And my daughter has just moved to the UK. We love the pubs. And I always love pubs. And my wife said, and she's 222 days now, just through watching me. She loved Is it. She, she just, I'll have to get her on the podcast, maybe on her 444th day. Yeah. And well, she could tell you the really bad stuff I did. I've only really just touched on it a few bike accidents, but she 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 would give you a much bigger insight to who I was. But yeah, she well, she just gave it up. And my daughter has become a lot more uh, well, her and her friends, I think I already touched on it. They they're not massive drinkers. And I love that new or younger generation do have a lot more information and they're a lot more body conscious too. Right or wrong, I don't know. But taking care of yourself with not drinking has got to be great. And I thought about going back to the pubs and my wife pointed out, she goes, yeah, but you'd go to the bar and you'd have a Guinness, but you didn't drink lots of them. You'd have one. And we might be there for a few hours and you'd talk to the locals and the barman. And one thing you could do over in Ireland was you could have a cup of tea. Well, she could have a cup of tea and a, and a cake where they had that been all the pubs we went to. They don't do that here. Some do, but you wouldn't go into a pub here and ask for a cup of tea. Whereas over in Ireland, a lot of people did. Could you imagine the shit you'd get if you went into a country pub in Australia and asked for a cup of tea? Well, I reckon you cop shit. Well, just recently I went on the way down here, actually. We're at a little town that starts with M, and I popped into one of the pubs there and I just said, uh, two zeros, and he looked at me and he went, what would we fucking sell zero, mate? And I went, see you later. Oh, um, wanker. Yeah. You're yourself such a disservice. You should publicly shame. What pub was that? It was in Mwoolumba. Mm. I can't remember the name of it. It was on a corner. I'm a Willembard. Sound, yeah, girl. I'm going to go hassle all the pubs in Mill Willembard now. That's it. That's my mission when I get back from this trip. 
I spoke to the, the place I used to drink at a lot and I, and I got, well, over a long period of time, you become friends with the managers and stuff. And speaking to one recently and, and he said to me, oh, gee, the, this non-drinking movement, he goes, I thought you'd do it for a month or maybe two, but he said, no, more people. And I said, mate, if you haven't got non-alcoholic drinks, you're missing out. I said, it's not just for people who quit either. I said, there's lots of people. You look at the, the age demographic you've got. People don't want to have a drink tonight. They want to come and visit their friends, but for the, they might have a blood test tomorrow. They've got something coming up or this guy's going in for an interview in the mine, so he's got to have a piss test and all this. There's so many reasons people want to have a night off the drink. Not just like for me who's given it away. And I'm not coming here to preach to all your people to give it away, but you've got to have another option for them. And soft drink people don't want to drink soft drinks. That's just the way it is. I think any publican or restaurant or cafe that could be listening to this, you are doing yourself a disservice and there's a big section of the market now which want an alcohol-free beer that's nice, it doesn't taste like cat's piss, and an alcohol-free wine equally, which doesn't taste like cat's piss, or just to have one. So, And there's wonderful people that they can reach out to. One person that I always suggest is Amy. Her Instagram is dry but wet. She goes and helps businesses find great options and suggest things that they can get in for their clientele so that they'll have these options available. And I think it's great. There's a whole market there and people are wanting it. So the more we go and ask for these things, I'm serious. When I go back to home, Northern Rivers, I'm going to go to Millwall Bar and go and ask for alcohol-free beers in every pub and then yeah. give them a lecture. <laughs> they don't because well, it should be an option. It should be. And I can tell you what, the supermarkets are onto it because in 21, when I went in to buy a six pack, because I was doing one of those challenges and I just said, well, go and get some zero bees. I've never drunk them before. And there was one option. Now you go and you've got a half an aisle of everything. So if the supermarkets are on to it, I mean, some of the bigger places down in Melbourne, I think they've got non-alcoholic bars now. So people still want to go out and have fun. It's people still want to go out and see music and not be drunk. It's happening more and more. It's great. Absolutely. I actually got a lot of messages over Blues Fest weekends. My husband, he plays Blues Fest all the time. And so a lot of people message me because they know that I'm at the festival and saying, why can't we get an alcohol-free beer at Blues Fest? Yeah. Which I want to message Peter Noble and say, oi, there needs to be an alcohol-free beer at Blues Fest. And all these festivals as well, like listen to what people are wanting and, and offer. I think it's got to be better for the festival too, like and in terms of keeping I people a bit more tidy. There's, sorry, there's lots of breweries out there now and I think if you haven't got an alcohol-free option and wineries, you've got to have an alcohol-free option because people still want to go out with their friends. We're going travelling around Australia. Now, one of the things I really didn't want to do is be 11 and 12 o'clock each day opening a can, going to the local pub. Now, once upon a time, I couldn't even contemplate going around Australia and not drinking pubs were my church you know and for a long time even after I stopped I still thought well we'll still go to a lot of pubs but now I mean I don't have that inclination anymore I just don't I see they're different people but to me they're the same characters and I've done that for long enough I really have Mm. so and sometimes you want to spread your horizons and just perhaps meet people on the road I remember I was a sort of guy, I would get out of the surf to have a smoke once upon a time. I can't believe, I look at myself now and go, gee, that's only 15, oh no, maybe a bit a bit longer, maybe 18 years ago, but I would get out of really good surf to have a smoke. I just think all the stuff I put into my body, and then, but I continued drinking. Like I used to love an afternoon surf, but I couldn't wait to get in the pub. And I would never go for an afternoon surf too far from a pub. Mm-hmm. Now I do heaps of afternoon surf, so I love it. It's fantastic. I'm down here at Woolgooga at the moment. I've surfed twice a day, every day since I've been here, and it's fantastic. Where I wouldn't have done that before. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It gives us so much more time to do the things that we love and we're not being narrowed by the thought of how am I going to get my next drink or when am I going to get my next drink or the day being revolved around that drink. We're just actually staying and doing what we actually are enjoying doing. Incredible how much time, and I've talked to mates about this and I've heard other people talk about it on your podcast, like the amount of effort I put into drinking is just I could have run the best business ever, really, if I put as much effort into anything I'd ever done as I did into drinking, thinking about it, organising, coordinating it. It's just insane. I do hear people come to me now with excuses and say, listen, mate, I want to, I'm want i going to have a break, but I've got this coming up, this coming up, this coming up. And I say, yeah, I've got all those same things. I'm going to all those same functions, buddy. Oh, right. Yeah, well. Okay, well, but you've already given it up. I said, well, when I gave up, well, I had a lot of stuff going on, good, bad, and indifferent, and it just works. Trust me, put yourself in the driver's seat and actually drive, and you're looking after the people that I should have been looking after for a hell of a lot longer. 
Well, one of the things I did want to say that I was the one person when my wife and I, when I gave up, my daughter and I, we pretty good mates and we get on really well and we do, we do a few pub crawls on our bush bikes. You know, I thought that was great and she thought it was great at the time. We take pictures and all this kind of stuff. And I said to her, when I quit, I was really, she was probably the one I was most afraid of upsetting. I said, this is our good time we spend together. And she was over the moon. I couldn't, her reaction was, no, don't you dare go back. The way she said it and so quickly too, I was like, oh, geez. She says, no, no, we can still go for a bike ride. We don't have to stop at any pubs. And then I got it and I thought it was us spending time together. She she was just wanting to spend time with me and knew that that was the best way to spend time with me, which is a little bit sad considering all the wonderful things we have done, that she found that was the best way as an adult to spend time with me. Whereas now we go for coffee and it's just as great and go for walks down the beach or whatever. Yeah, yeah, the time spent together is much more richer. There's more quality to it. I know with my dad, it was one of my concerns because we'd always have a drink together, but he was so great about it. And he actually preferred in the end just getting some alcohol-free wine or alcohol-free beers and he'd have those no worries. And we'd just sit there and I wasn't drinking alcohol-free wine then. I still don't really, but dad would sit there and pour himself an alcohol-free red or he'd try the different beers and yeah. he loved it. It's funny, he and Ash were always drinking together and we'd bring up a whole lot of different alcohol-free beers and he'd taste them and say which ones he thought tasted like cat's piss or not. Yeah. And they were still bonding over the beers, but yep. it was just that they were alcohol-free. So I don't know, we oftentimes think that, especially with parents, I think this is a big thing. And it's funny, I see it more with dads and daughters than I do with sons and mums. It's oftentimes we think that it's this thing that's holding us together or that's our connection. Even when the father has passed on and the daughter's still thinking, oh, but that was my connection with my dad. It reminds me of him. It's an interesting thing to think, well, no, I can still enjoy that person. I can enjoy the memory of that person without the booze being involved, or I can have an option which has no alcohol in it, but still have my memory of that person or have the time with that person. Absolutely, for sure, yeah. Mm. And I, I was wrapped when she said that to me. We're going over to visit her in the UK next year. And one of my first thoughts was, gee, will I still go to the pubs? And like Gail said, yeah, we will. We'll have a cup of tea because they are really old and they've got wonderful history about them yeah. and the people you meet in them are terrific too. And like she said, look, when you went to Ireland, we, I think I only got drunk once the whole time we were there, which was amazing. That was St. Patrick's Day. And, oh, I listened to your podcast with your Irish friend the other day. Actually, I might go and see her soon. I think she's playing in this area but yeah that was a, a real learning thing now and that was a great podcast we, I've listened to it twice now I've got my yeah, wife it was great I was actually uh, talking to a guy yesterday in Adelaide who just came up to me and said I listened to your podcast he's Scottish and then he said oh that podcast you did with Anya Tyrrell was unbelievable yeah. and he's like I've never ever thought about it in terms of the, especially the colonization of the mind with alcohol and that really hit a nerve like that podcast went pretty crazy and it was very educational for people one thing that I've found to I agree with you when we're over in the UK I love the old pubs same thing the history the building but oftentimes they have soup (laughs) so yeah yeah, and you can get a cup of tea in them or a coffee usually a cup of tea and I usually just get a bowl of soup and go sit by the fire and have the soup so you could still go and enjoy but you don't have to partake in the booths that's right. I mean, the history of, and like I said, I never go to churches here. I'm not a church goer. But over there, we went to so many churches. It was fantastic. And castles, I mean, people say, how many castles can you visit? Well, you can. I can visit heaps. They're great. And I can do it sober. I love that. And I love that you're connecting with your daughter, who you sound like you've got a beautiful connection with. So that's just absolutely wonderful. And how much more enriching it is for that relationship to be able to bond and catch up now without alcohol to just have a cup of tea with your daughter in a pub in the UK I think is absolutely gorgeous and I hope that more fathers listening to this will perhaps take that time with their daughters to just sit and have a cup of tea together or play a board game and, and just talk or walk on the beach together it's so important and so beautiful actually makes me a bit teary just thinking about that because it's so special you are right. One thing about being a dad is you, especially with a daughter, you want them to do really well and successful and you you see the tears as they grow up as teenagers for whatever reason. And you, when you're drinking, you try and play the, you should do this, you should do that. Now that I'm not drinking, it's more so I just listen. I don't really have to give her any advice. I mean, she's 27 and I don't, unless she asks for it, I just really sit there and go, wow, okay, interesting. Hmm, I never thought of that. And you do listen and, and you realise, okay, she's got a pretty good life. Whereas before, I think you control it. When you're drinking, you do. You don't listen as well. And that was a really good thing for, for her to come out and say, no, I'd much prefer you as a non-drinker. Well, I think, well, that's, well that was a great thing. 
Yeah, it's such a gift. What a beautiful gift to give yeah. her. And that the fact that she appreciates you as a sober person and as a sober parent is absolutely gorgeous. So tell me, Greg, what's been the most beneficial thing that you've noticed about taking alcohol out of your life? The most beneficial? Gee, there's so many good things. Oh, dear. Just, just being present. The relationship with my wife, I'll put that as number one. I think our relationship has always been really good. We've always looked after each other. One of the things I wrote about in my journal the other day, and it's funny when you start journaling, firstly, how bad is my writing? And then secondly, when I think about our relationship is being on the same page. It's Even though you think you're on the same page, when you're both not drinking, it's really, really good to be on the same page. And we've had a really good life together, 30 years together, and I'm trying to think, were we ever on the same page? She would go on these fitness things and I'd be off it. Then I'd go on a fitness thing and she'd be looking after our financials and I would be sort of, yeah, whatever, it's all going to work out. Then all of a sudden, I'd have a period where I'd look after the financials and I'd want to be, we need to do this, that and the other. We were never on the same page, even though we were together and we were working well. We were never there. And then when we're not drinking, it's a totally different thing of working together. Everything now is gone gangbusters. I just look at our life as so much better. And I can't think of an argument. I mean, even backing in caravans, we haven't had one argument. We've looked at each other and I sort of, but I know how to, okay, she's trying her best. Whereas before I would have got out and gone ape shit over a silly little thing like backing in a caravan and we've missed the mark by a ruler length. Whereas now she goes in the van, she's got her role, I've got my role out. And I can see before drinking, both of us drinking, that would have been a good two-hour blue. Easy. Mm, unbelievable, isn't it? It makes you so and, much more tolerant. And so I think the best thing is a relationship. Yeah, I is. agree. And then oh. there's all the things that follow on from there, the health, money, the whole lot just follows on. It's just such a, if anyone is thinking about giving up, just try it just for a little bit and see how you go. And then it does get so good. And I, I know I'm only 440 to four days in, but I see you at five years and other people at 10. I know it's just going to get better and better and better. Yeah. And it does. Honestly, it does. And you think about yeah. it less and less and it just yeah. gets better. I think as long as you keep the input up, input is so important. We get bored and a bit, ho we get the ho-hums if there's not good input, just being, say, good podcasts, good books and yeah. education. Like keep learning about something or challenging yeah. yourself or do something that stops you getting bored and too in your head. Obviously a bit of therapy. I'm always up for that as well for people, but input. It's all about good input. Yeah. So that's one of the things I think that keeps you going and keeps it interesting and keeps you thriving because you want to keep thriving. That's the key. Well, you never get bored and you never get lonely if you've got good books around you. That's, that's the one thing I always see. You know? And before, I've always been a reader and I would read maybe three or four books a year. I have three books on the go now all the time. It's just fantastic. And I've got one book I just continually on read over and over again and I only discovered him probably three months ago during a house sit. I picked up this book. That's Ryan Holiday. Wow. I mean, I, and I've heard people talk about Ryan Holiday before. I don't know if you have. But, uh, yeah, about what's the book? It's uh, The Daily Stoic. Um, oh, The Daily Stoic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I love, it's like my little Bible. I have that because I've read it right through twice and I keep it beside me. I read it every day. Another one is Bill Bryson and the Body. If you get a chance to read that, that is brilliant. Have you read that? Read, no, I have not read that. I've read something else of Bill Bryson, a history thing. A history of everything? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So get the body. It is brilliant. It is a real, it's a wonderful way of looking at how we work, how we function, how our blood, our everything works. There's so much we don't know about our bodies. We're, and uh, while well, we've just got to keep moving them and keep learning and, yeah. That's amazing, Greg. I'll pop those in the show notes for people listening. And... Yeah, The Daily Stoic, I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. So I might add that to my list of, I've got some books, some that I'm rereading that I'm taking on this trip and then some other brand new ones. But I'm like you, I've literally got three books on the go. Yeah. <laughs> and I've got one that I'm listening to always, but it's great. I really love it. Am I falling into an addiction type thing? Possibly yes, but I think it's better to be addicted to knowledge <laughs> and yeah. learning than it is to alcohol or sugar, 100%. So, all right, you're amazing. Thank you so much. And congratulations on 444 days. When this podcast airs, no doubt, you'll be further along. But and I'd love to also hear from your wife at some point in the future. Sure. That'd be great. And I really agree. I want people to, to really think about that, giving yourself a good amount of time for things to reset. And that six weeks mark is really good. I've got a, another six-week challenge. I'm obviously not doing one more away, but starting one 
July 1st is my next six-week challenge. And I'm not sure when the next one will be after that, probably October. But you don't need to join a challenge 100% you can just do it like you Greg listening to podcasts reading books having someone maybe a buddy someone you can reach out to you absolutely don't need to sign up for something like mine you can do it you absolutely can do it you've just got to dig in do the work don't fucking drink just don't drink don't put the drink to your lips no matter what make yourself that promise that for this next six weeks no matter what I'm not putting a drink of alcohol to my lips yeah all I would add to that is it's actually easier than you think. Yeah. You just got to do it. Yeah, and just get out of your mind with it too. Sometimes we get so up in the mind. This is why I talk about going into the body, right, which I won't get into. I've done that enough recently. But if we get in all our mind and we get that obsessive thinking about it, that's what kind of sets us off and takes us. It's that obsessive thinking about it where if you just go, it's okay, I'm fine, and just kind of maybe redirect your thoughts or just sort of tune back into your body for a bit. I think that obsessive thinking about it is the hard bit. Of course. Yeah, so yeah. just watching your mindset. Okay, one final thing before we go, Greg, is what would you say to people that have said, I've tried a million times, I just can't quit, I'm stuck with this bitch forever? Well, a million and one won't hurt. And, uh, yes. yeah, it's keep going, try and try again. And it's it's one of the, um, the rules of life. Everything is just keep trying, keep trying. And if it's something you really want, it's going to happen. Yeah, that's beautiful. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Yeah. I love it. Greg, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for reaching out to me on Instagram. And I've loved this conversation and I hope to see you sometime in the near future on the travels, perhaps. Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. We'd love that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Greg. See you later. Thank you. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.